Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men loaded in man's chest. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show. Pirates of the Caribbean Minute podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 12 of Dead Man's Chest. No shenanigans. I'm just going to jump right into it. You know, being uh, Christmas week and all. I don't have time to spare. I don't have a square to spare. <laughs> In the previous minute, Lord Cutler Beckett has his eye on a dapper yet shackled Will Turner. You can take those off. No, I mean the handcuffs. A roaring fire? A little hard alcohol? Let me show you my red hot poker. And perhaps we can come to an arrangement. Yeah. And how about, go get your friend Captain Jack Sparrow. He's got something I want. At the point of a sword? Well, if we're lucky. Is this a recap minute 11 or is this apparently a pox upon Hollywood? You be the judge. Minute 12 begins with Beckett opening his wooden East India Company branded box and withdrawing a leather-wrapped letters of mark, telling Will, you will offer the what amounts to a full pardon. Jack will be free, a privateer in the employ of England. The minute ends on the balcony overlooking the harbor, Beckett telling Will that the item in question is considerably smaller and far more valuable. Something Sparrow keeps on his person at all times. A kumpa. A kumpa? Dot, dot, dot. A kumpa. <laughs> How dare they it's end? A kumpa. How dare that minute end on a kumpa? <laughs> That's the most ridiculous goddamn thing I've ever heard. What the hell's a kumpa? Kumpa dot dot dot. If only we had the next minute we could figure out what a kumpa was. I just don't I can't even fathom what it would be. Oh compass. Oh that's right. Yeah, we ended in mid-word, which rarely happens for us here. Compass. There we go. Compass. So that's where we end. Does Jack's compass actually work for anybody else but Jack? Yeah. Oh, okay. Do we know that? I don't think we have the details on it, but I, or actually, I don't remember now. Do we know in the Black Pearl if anybody else had it? If it has somebody, well, I think we have, I think we have the expanded universe information that backs up the compass, that the bearer of the compass, somebody has been given the compass. You can let somebody look at the compass. It doesn't make it theirs, right? Yeah. They can hold it. They can have it. If you give it up, that's the problem. If you give it to somebody, if they're just holding it and looking at it, that's a different story. But I think the, the rule goes, if you just have it, I don't know, actually. I, I think that's what it is, right? Because that was, okay, we're going to be getting into further down the line movies here. Yeah. Dead Men Tell No Tales. He actually had to give it up. This wasn't, because we've had other people hold the compass before and not nothing's happened. This was specifically... He gave it up on purpose. Somebody else can hold it. It's not that. Then the bearer, the owner of the compass, so it just it shows their the heart's owner. desire. Okay. Yeah. So it's not just limited to Jack. It could be the owner. So of Jack this would actually have to give it to Beckett for it to work for to for Beckett. Yeah, and I think that's why he's offering him 
this freedom, this letters to Mark. Which is technically not freedom in Jack's eyes. That's right. So, I mean, well, letters of Mark in general. I'm, yeah, exactly. So I was going to jump to letters of Mark, but you're right. In Jack's eyes, this is not necessarily freedom. And this that's is where work. I was, was going to kind of go with what what's going on here with all of this here. So, yeah, let's just jump right into it. Okay. I really found this whole letters of Mark idea really a fascinating piece of history, and I couldn't just let it go. Of course you couldn't. So, yeah, right off the get-go, we are jumping into some pirate history, folks. Hold on to your large pirate belt buckles out there. It's history time. So here's what I dug up. Heather was holding her pirate buckle. She's fully dressed in here. That I am. You hear my jingles? I was going to make a Christmas reference, but I decided not to because I didn't want you singing any Christmas songs. <laughs> That's okay. I started jingle, jingle, jingle. Yeah, exactly. That was my whole fear. In the Age of Sail, firstly, the Age of Sail is really about the coolest name for any era. Yes. The Age of Sail. I love that. It's pretty it tells cool. tells me all I really yeah. need to know. The Space Age. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, space is cool. But the Age of Sail, that just has some kind of nostalgia to it. I'm yeah. all really big about the nostalgia. A letter of mark and reprisal, or simply a letter of mark, was a government license that authorized a person known as a privateer to attack and capture enemy vessels. Once captured, the privateer could bring the case of that prize before their own admiralty court for a condemnation and transfer of ownership to the privateer. A letter of mark and reprisal would include permission to cross an international border to effect a reprisal. And that's like to maybe take some action against or attack or injure whatever you needed to do. Okay. And was an authorized kind of piece of Parchment. permission or, yeah, whatever, by issuing jurisdiction to conduct reprisal operations outside of its borders. So the idea is that you could go wherever you wanted to make sure that you did what you needed to do. Okay. At that time, cruising for enemy prizes with a letter of mark was considered an honorable calling that combined patriotism and profit. Such privateering contrasted with attacks and captures of random ships, which was unlicensed and known as... Pirates. Piracy. Heather gets a gold star for the day. Piracy was almost universally reviled. Of course. Uh-huh. Here's what's crazy about this whole Letters of Mark thing. And it shows that all this piracy and privateer stuff was really not that long ago. And I'm not talking about, you know, Somali pirates and things like that today. I'm still talking kind of old school privateers and pirates. Benjamin Franklin had attempted to persuade the French to lead by example and stop issuing Letters of Mark to their corsairs. But the effort founded when war loomed with Britain once again. The French Convention did forbid the practice, but it was reinstated in August of 1795. On September 26, 1797, the Ministry of the Navy was authorized to sell small ships to private parties for privateering and for this purpose. Huh. Finally, after the Congress of Paris at the end of the Crimean War, seven European nations signed the Paris Declaration of 1856 renouncing privateering. And 45... More countries eventually joined them, which in effect abolished privateering worldwide. The United States was not a signatory to that declaration. They said, hey, don't you tell us what to do. Despite the attempt to end privateering around the world, nations continued to issue letters of mark, even though they had a convention. Sounds oddly familiar. Do these conventions ever work? Do they no, ever hold? Never. In 1879, at the beginning of the War of the Pacific, Bolivia issued letters of mark to any vessels willing to fight for them. At the time, Bolivia was under threat from Chile's fleet but had no navy. That's freaking 1879. It's not wow. that long uh -uh. ago, if you really think about it. We're uh, doing sailing stuff here. And we got the letters of Mark and privateering going on. Pretty crazy. But hold on to your belt buckles. Again? Yeah, hold on once more. Don't let go. Let, keep these things handed. In December 1941 and the first months of 1942, 
Some claim that letters of Mark were issued to, yes, hold on, Goodyear freaking blimps. Seriously? <laughs> Goodyear blimps. The tall ships of the skies, as I like to call yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. Goodyear commercial L-class blimp Resolute. That's a good name to it. The Resolute. Yes. Uh, reminds me of the Resolute Desk, I think, in, uh, was that National Treasure? Anyways, the Blimp Resolute, operating out of Moffett Field in our local area, Sunnyvale, California here, flew anti-submarine patrols. As the civilian crew was armed with a rifle, many thought this made the ship a privateer. Huh. And that she and sister commercial blimps were operated under letters of mark until the Navy took over operation. That was the claim. However, without congressional authorization, the Navy would not have been able to legally issue any letters of mark. Huh. That's a little beard scratcher there. <sighs> Sounds like we're That's just... a gray area. Yeah, we're, we're talking gray areas here. <laughs> yeah. Hey, privateer, piracy, it's all gray areas anyways, right? Yeah. Okay, 1941. The United States has not legally commissioned any privateers. Do you see that? Legally. Legally. They haven't legally commissioned any privateers since 1815, although the status of submarine hunting Goodyear blimps, airships as we'll call them, in the early days of World War II created significant confusion. Various accounts refer to airships, resolute, and volunteers operating under a privateer status. But Congress, like I said, never authorized a commission, nor did the president sign one. Hmm. Again, uh, gray area. Yeah. Vice president signed, oh, but wait. not president. Click classified. Yeah. Oh, now we don't really know. Okay. Now we get the picture here. It's classified. Was that really there? Yeah, I think so. I think we all know the truth. The issue of mark and reprisal was raised before Congress after the September 11th attacks and again on July 21st, 2007 by Congressman Ron Paul. The attacks were defined as acts of air piracy. So the whole September 11th attacks, they said that was acts of air piracy and the mark and reprisal act of 2001 was introduced, which would have granted the president the authority to use letters of mark and reprisal against specific terrorists. Instead of warring against a foreign state. Another workaround. Wow. To do that. Well, you know what? If they're terrorists, we can just issue letters of mark and then we're not really going to war. It's all these kind of sidesteps. Ah, politicians and politics. <laughs> Pretty crazy stuff. The terrorists were compared to pirates in that they are difficult to fight by traditional military means. Paul, that's Ron Paul, on April 15, 2009, also advocated the use of letters of mark to address the issue of Somali pirates operating in the Gulf of Aden. However, the bills Paul introduced were not actually enacted into law. But that's this conversation is still happening. This is modern stuff. That's interesting. Right? Yeah. Ah, uh, piracy. We just love our pirates. Guess Everybody so. wants to be a modern day pirate. Come on. Get off the bandwagon now. <laughs> Arr! Yeah. I wonder if that happened out on the floor there. The Senate and the House. <laughs> Coming in with your, your giddy up there. Your, your tricorn and then introducing the bill. Ah, we got to get those terrorists. <laughs> So yeah, that's what I thought. I thought Letters of Mark was really an interesting topic. And yeah. I could probably go on, but this isn't a Letters of Mark show. So I figured we'd move along. It's Pirates of the Caribbean show. Oh, oh, that's where we are. I completely didn't realize. Just wanted to make sure you oh, knew. I, I thought we were on... Uh, the like, History It's like we were doing some kind of Santa Claus crazy minute or something. <laughs> it may not seem like it, but there's a ton of stuff going on in this minute besides Letters of Mark. I was just really fascinated with that because of the history of it. Yeah. There's a buildup of symbolism happening, and that backs up exactly what Beckett is telling Will here. That the world is shrinking and the age of pirates is coming to an end. Or the age of a pirate. Uh, the age of pirates. Let's just say the age of pirates. Is coming the age to an of end. pirates. The freedom Jack enjoys is being overtaken by like this structure. 
Companies are ruling the seas now, ruling profits, ruling trade. Does this make sense to everybody out there? No. You don't know what I'm saying here? Yes, I do. Oh, you do? Thanks for being the stone man over there. (laughs) Honestly. Will says Jack won't be interested in working for England. Because Jack's not going to be interested in working for anybody, actually. Especially since Will is under the wrong impression that before Beckett clarifies, because Will is kind of thinking one way, he's making an assumption, which makes an ass out of you and me. You got that right. That the Black Pearl was what Beckett wanted. Right. And we all know the Pearl is Jack's freedom. And so Will was thinking, no way he's going to be willing to give up the Pearl. But it's not really what Beckett was talking about. It's the Kumpa. It's... (laughs) (laughs) And that's what he really wanted. But that's what's interesting is that this whole idea that the freedom that Jack enjoys on the sea is coming to an end. Is he saying the world is shrinking? But it's not just shrinking like that. And it's it's really that companies are kind of taking over. They're the ones that are actually ruling the roost now. Not the pirates out on the seas. But now there's going to be a force to be reckoned with. You're not going to be fighting just companies. Now there's going to be... Or you're not going to be just fighting countries anymore, necessarily. But there's going to be big companies like this one, because he's with the East India Company that's right. connecting places around the world. At this time, the East India Company was starting to rule the world. We already talked how they had an incredible army, hundreds of thousands of people in this army. They're the ones that are responsible for helping make this world smaller and shrink. That's going to possibly try and eradicate the pirates. Right. Because that's going to be hurting their bottom line and that's not what they're going to want so this whole symbolism here this whole idea that the world is shrinking and beckett even says i mean besides just saying that it's shrinking he says that the edges of the map are being filled in he says that jack needs to find his place in this new world or he has to perish it's kind of like that old darwinian idea adapt migrate die and jack has to do one of those he's either going to do adapt to the new ways he's going to die or he's going to have to get the hell out of there and right. find a little rum runner's aisle where he can just hang out on and he's not going to really be able to do anything. Or he's going to have to like migrate or, you know, adapt to becoming a privateer. Right. You know, give up some of that stuff that he wants. Give up the in. freedom. Exactly. And we literally see this happening right before our eyes, this whole idea of the world shrinking. Because Beckett's cartographer is working on the wall map. We've uh-huh. already saw that. He's filling in some of the edges on that map. All those missing pieces and locations, he's actively working on that as this whole scene is going on. Well, a minute ago. Ten minutes. In minute right. ten. We're losing the whole idea of these myths and mysteries of what lies at the edge of the map. These old school maps that people didn't know, so they filled in mermaids. sea creatures and sea monsters and things like that. And mermaids, yeah. Now all that cool stuff that we talked about in season one that were on the maps and all these creatures, those are going away and being filled in with actual locations. My God, people really live here. <laughs> There's other land out here. There's not uh, not giant octopus. You know, that kind of stuff. And then, so it's not only that, that symbolism of the map, but we also get a clock. And is it me or is this clock a bit similar to the Back to the Future clock tower clock? Yeah. Right? It looks yeah. like that. Check out our friend Scott Corelli at Back to the Future Minute. But it did. It yeah. actually looks like that. I did actually looked it up when I saw that. I'm like, oh my God, this is like the clock tower talk. Yeah. Clock talk? tower clock. Talk? Why didn't I just TikTok, say... TikTok, TikTok. The clock tower clock. That's a weird sentence. I actually looked it up. It is a little bit different. There are some similarities, but 
There is a bit of difference. Okay. But it still looked that way. And it was strange that it reminded me of that because I thought we're talking about the world shrinking and time and all that. And then that was Back to the Future reference. Quite interesting. That was just... But the way it turns your brain out be, works. Yeah, it is. Because it wasn't a, a real identical clock that... Then that's just the way my mind thought of that. It just came right to that. Yeah, it's like the East India Trading Company is taking over Port Royal and totally rebuilding it. Exactly. To what they want. Yeah, they're and updating it. Yeah, and... that's exactly what it is. They're making it like a modern place. Okay, we're going to have people here. We're not going to live like heathens. We're going to yeah. make this place an actual functioning port. Yeah. A headquarters for our ships and for our company. And given that the clock, too, is this symbol of the future and time marching forward, the world is connecting. It's appropriate that they're putting this big clock on Port Royal. Yeah. Plus, it just shows that, you know, you see all these images of headquarters and military and all these things that, and journalism, news and all that. They have all these clocks that are for time zones all around the world, right. you know, the current time. And this is kind of like just the establishment. Just check out Anchorman. There you go. Anchorman Minute, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and that's kind of what this clock is. They're bringing the the up-to-date modern society here that now needs to run by the clock. There's no more freedom of the sea that you just went about your business. Now, like all of us, freaking all of us are run by the damn clock, right? Yeah. That's what it is. This is what Jack is losing. He's losing that ability to be carefree. Now we're all being run by the dang clock. So there are tons of symbols. So I think that's something we should keep an eye on. Especially since the clock has a meaning for Jack beyond just the coming future and dying of the age of pirates. I mean, I'm not going to say it now because we're not going to get into it in this minute. Yeah. But the clock ticking is the catalyst for actions that will take place in this film. There's a time crunch coming. There's <gasps> expiring timelines coming. I'll just tease that. There's also something telling about Beckett and his world domination thoughts, his worldview. Will says Jack won't think employment is really the same as freedom. And Beckett mutters under his breath, kind of, he goes, freedom, with a smirk. That's the crazy part. That's what sparks this whole conversation about the whole world shrinking. It's almost that he recognizes we are all losing our freedom to companies that are now taking the reins of our lives. It's not like a bad capitalism kind of way. You know, capitalism is bad statement. But it's more in the way that people are working for themselves are now... Or this idea that people were working for themselves and scratching a living out of the dirt or farming and all that kind of stuff are now shifting to working for somebody else or working for companies. Or the man. Working for the man. That's a good way to put it. And that man is little freaking Cutler Beckett. <laughs> and the freedom to be in charge of your own destiny, right? Yes. Is now partially at least in the hands of a company. Representative of this whole shifting trend to work for someone else as opposed to yourself. And working for the clock. The clock dictates so much we what we have. And especially now with our phones that are always in our hands, the time is always there. We always got schedules and things to do. At least some of us do. I'm like Jack. <laughs> that's because I'm you on Rum Runner's Isle. You never know what aisle. time it is. <laughs> exactly. I'm just on Rum Runner's Isle all the time. But that's the point. It's not necessarily Beckett or the man coming there. The clock is representative of the man yeah. of that company coming there. And that's what's pretty cool about it. Right. Cool in a bad way because I really would love to live that carefree lifestyle. You do? Um, Close to being a bum. Not not quite, but close. So that's uh, that's my, uh, my hard-hitting subject because on a lighter note, and I do say lighter note here, <laughs> did you see those idiots throwing the net 
the fishing net on the beach in the background. Okay, not throwing it. They're on the beach and they're throwing the... They'd really be idiots. Okay, they would be major idiots if they're trying to fish on the beach. They're like, I don't know why we're not catching anything. But no, they're but, only going a couple feet out anyway because they can't throw the thing. Exactly. They're trying to throw the fishing net. They're right on... Their feet are just barely in the water. I don't know if they're practicing or what, but they're not professionals by any stretch of the imagination. They okay. cast the net and it's just a jumbled freaking mess. Yeah. The only way they're going to catch fish is if that tangled net accidentally knocks a fish unconscious. <laughs> if it can club a fish, that's how they're going to get it. I don't know if they're practicing or what. Unless they're like trying to get small bait fish right there. But the net looked like it was bigger yeah. than that. It, this was a more substantial net. And with all the other stuff that was going on, the activity there, I don't know there how much you're going to... There wouldn't be any fish there anyway. I mean, in Hawaii or if you're snorkeling, you can sometimes see fish. But uh, I don't know how accurate that would be that you're going to... Or what are your expectations of throwing a net like that? Or okay, at least they'd have more luck bundling it into a ball the way they were doing that. And then trying to, like I said, bounce it off a fish. Yeah. I just thought it was comical in the background. Because there's a lot of activity. They did a really good job to make this look really busy. And I would say almost make it look better than they did in the original Curse of the Black Pearl. Because you'd have some people rowing boats out there, which we talked about a lot. This here, you have people rowing. You have people doing work on the beach. They're on the docks. There's ladies on the docks with parasols. There's all kinds of activity here. I think that was, they did more now just to symbolize the what's to come. We're really uh, amping possible. things up. Idea. This place is really starting to go. That's, you know, possibly a really good connection that before things are changing. people were just kind of wandering around and we're kind of doing things. But now there's the hustle and bustle of, East India companies here. Now we actually got to look alive. We, maybe they had some people working there before, but now the man is there and the boss yeah. and their headquarters. So now they're everybody's running around and making sure they're looking busy. There's a lot more people coming into the city now because the company's there. Yeah, it's just changing the whole dynamics yep. of the island. Yeah. There goes that island lifestyle. Oh, man. That's just pitiful. It is. And they're all going to go, man, I bet you in a couple hundred years, everybody's going to want that island lifestyle back. And they just ruined it for everybody. Exactly. East India Company, how dare you? That's about all I got. I went through all kinds of uh, crazy symbolism and uh, things. But yeah, it was more of a hard-hitting, symbolic, the man is coming for us all. Yeah. Okay, depressing. Yeah. It's kind of depressing. I wish there was uh, some apocalypse going on that makes at least me smile a little bit. Something else. Yeah, That's. but that's it. That's seriously all I got. Well, on a happy note, Will and Elizabeth may be free. That's true. And that's the thing. That's the carrot that's dangling there. Will, as much as Will, if he was by himself, I guess that's something we can talk about. Maybe we should talk about it in the next minute if he accepts this deal or not. But here's something to think about and then we can think about. If Will was by himself, here's the question of the day. If Will was by himself and not attached to Elizabeth, would he take this deal to go after Jack for his exoneration? Or would he do, say, the stand-up thing and not go after Jack with his honor? But being that he's with Elizabeth, he has somebody else that he cares about more than himself that he actually, there is no debate with him that who he needs to save and make sure is safe first. I don't think Will would hang for Jack. Would he? I don't know. I don't know. That's something maybe we should discuss. You think Will would? Will did not. Will said that Jack's not his friend. He did He's say that. He's an acquaintance that. or something like that. Yeah, but come on. He's in that situation. He doesn't want to make it look like... He already knows it. Okay, maybe I don't want to be connected with Jack here. But 
is will have the honor that he would say i'm not i don't know jack that well i'm not going to go after him or try and trick him into anything if you just want me to go there and present him with this sure but i think there's a different stage here of will has only one option and that's to protect elizabeth right. whether he would do that or not if Elizabeth wasn't in the picture, that's a different story. Maybe, like I said, we could discuss it well, next time. Well, if Elizabeth wasn't in the picture, he wouldn't be in this whole situation anyway. That's true. Because he never would have gotten in the ship and on the ship in the beginning. There you go. And involved with Jack. Okay, I got nothing else. Because I'm going to save all my rest for <laughs> tomorrow. Okay, sounds good. Thanks for your approval, matey. Anytime. We'll be back tomorrow with minute 13 of Dead Man's Chest. Until then, scallywags. You know the drill. Let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around. You've been listening to the Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, scallywags. I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed... Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again and Season 2 is here and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, soundcloud.com slash pirates of the caribbean that's for best of clips and by all means give us a plug and review on itunes we'd appreciate it mateys oh and let's not forget the facebook cursed crew listeners group for post episode discussions that's actually a lot to remember especially if you're in a foggy haze like heather just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button perhaps i should have just said that from the beginning This is a Shoutreach Media Production. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bildrats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music... That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.